Hey everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm the bad boy of X-Men podcasting, Zach Jenkins. Hey Adam. Hey, Zach, keeping things tidy? Keeping things neat? I'm I'm keeping things as tidy as I can this week <laughs> because this week we are celebrating everyone's favorite Welsh mutant. That mutant is fairy. Pick- mutant fairy. We're going to get into it. I don't. <laughs> We're going to get into it. I have Nightcrawler related issues with this okay. or Nightcrawler adjacent issues with this. Also, Mark or not Mark Guggenheim adjacent issues with this. This is one of the things Mark Guggenheim didn't do. I have some Chuck Austin adjacent issues with this and some Jeff Loeb adjacent issues with this. So Great. murderers row of people to have issues with. I like it. Listen, it's a, uh, I got, I got issues on issues. That's why I'm a comics fan. Booyah. <laughs> where, 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 where. Would it be the Attitude Era if we didn't uh, have some issues? And so we are talking about Pixie this week. Thanks to... Uh, this is thanks to Patreon supporter Daniel. If you want to be like Daniel, you can go over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, reach deep down into your hearts and pocketbooks and toss a couple of coins into our coffers at the $5 a month level. Hey, we keep forgetting to mention, you get episodes early. And by early, I mean when I post them. Adam... But earlier. Does, yes, Adam does edit them and then i don't always drop everything i'm doing to immediately post them and i'm sorry about that for some people but on the other hand i have kids it's like in your defense i mean sometimes these episodes are done by like the end of the week previous so it's not always ideal and you send me a note and i'm like oh i'm at work adam i'm not doing that right now (laughs) and then i forget until sunday and i'm like oh crap Hey, got to do a, that. Got to get the day the early is up. still good for our patrons and uh, sometimes it's even earlier, depending. So you also get to pick an episode uh, mm-hmm. of what we what we do, just like Daniel did. If you want to be like Daniel, do the thing I just said, because Daniel decided that we should talk about a very odd story that exists. So odd. And that is X-Men colon Pixie Strikes Back volume one. This is written by Catherine Eminen. Uh, with pencils by Sarah Pacelli, uh, colors by Christina Strain. Look at that. Um, Adam. Yeah, hi. Were you familiar with this book as it was coming out? I was not. And I have heard many, many people say that they adore this book. They love this book. This is like a fan fave. So I was very surprised. And Pixie fans, please make sure you're sitting down while I say what I'm about to say. Uh, this book is a freaking mess and um, <laughs> doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I've heard it described as kind of like a fever dream, but um, I think that's being a little kind. One, I don't think it has the same level of manic energy that I would would expect from any sort of pixie dream girl. Uh, or I guess in this case, Pixie Girl Dream, manic or otherwise. Yes. Uh, let's start with let's start with what I am curious about in general. Adam, were you were you reading comics? I don't think so. At the time of Pixie's meteoric rise, 
No, I don't think so. Definitely not. Because you know she was a she was a background character in the new X Men stuff. In fact, doesn't like do anything with the team until right before Messiah Complex, and then after mm-hmm. that, she starts to gain prominence in the Utopia era specifically, mm-hmm. which is a challenge for her because. She's also gaining prominence at the same time as armor is gaining prominence in books that people were reading more. Yeah. But like Pixie was a major part of an X-Men video game mm-hmm. uh, that I have not played uh, X-Men okay. Destiny. I do know she gets fridged in that game. Spoilers for a game from a while ago. That's unfortunate. It's so that Magneto gets motivation. <laughs> That's what fridging is. It's it truly is. I watched the video. It's like she's just dead. It's weird. It's a weird choice that they made. Never Uh, played that one. I listen. It got terrible reviews, so I didn't (laughs) want to do it. I was like, no, I can save my fifty dollars. But Pixie Strikes Back comes before that. Uh, Love Sarah Pacelli's art in this. I think Sarah Pacelli is fantastic. I think we should get that out of the way first. The book looks fantastic. Pacelli's art is outstanding and i think what dials it up even more um is christina strain's colors uh it's just Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful looking book so if you are a fan of pixie strikes back because of the artwork i can't fault you on that i really can't um i think where we go wrong immediately is the the script and um i was trying to think about how to describe this before we jumped on and i i came up with the conclusion that um, everybody is quippy. Like everybody is quippy and so quippy that they're not themselves anymore. And I do realize that a huge part of this book is like sort of dream, whatever, but there's characters that are not in the dreamscape that are also super quippy. And it's, it's too many quips. There's a lot of quips. And if that's what you want, that's fine. But, they aren't quips that's that are working for me. Like the the team in this, uh, there's a girl school that or not a girl school, but they all get sent to a dream high school by a demon. Uh, and it's blindfold, X23, Armor Mercury, and Pixie. Mm-hmm. Uh Armor and Mercury are written with the exact same voice, and I cannot tell them apart. And it's the same voice as Pixie. So I do not know. Like they're all kind of the same. X-23 is X-23. I would go so far as to say the vast majority of the characters in this book have the same exact voice. It's very challenging to find a difference between many of the female characters, including Emma Frost, Psylocke, like nobody. The Psylocke one's weird. The Psylocke one's weird. Nobody sounds like themselves. However, there are some characters that I think sound better than others. Okay. I would I would say that while I am in general not a fan of them, the ladies mastermind are the most fun in this than they are in anything else. Yes, unfortunately, the ladies mastermind are brought into this story by Pixie's mom and Pixie's mom is a fairy who left Pixie with her grandparents and is very disappointed with how she's turned out as a member of the X-Men. So she's well. It's also not living up to Pixie's dad's legacy, which is being mastermind. Uh, that is also retconned here, right? Is that or revealed? Is this a can we call this it's, a retcon? I, I mean, I don't believe when they drew 
pixie into the background of a panel at one point. They were like, and by the way, this is Mastermind's secret daughter. His third <laughs> secret daughter. Uh, yeah. I it's, guess this is canon. It it has not been uh, retconned. It, it it still remains on the wiki that, that Mastermind was her father. To be, but to be fair, Mastermind's been in like three comics since this. He's not been around. <laughs> no. He was no. in X-Corp and they didn't, that book didn't last long enough to, to get to the major pixie plot point that I'm sure they had going for it. Uh, and I'll tell you why I don't like that. And this is from a very comics brain perspective, mm-hmm. but there is, there is a thought process in comics that you have to explain everything and you have to connect it to something else in comics because that'll give it additional weight. Mm-hmm. I don't think Pixie gains anything by being half fairy. No, like I think that's I agree. I think that's a weird literalization of it. It's like saying that I don't know, Rain Wolfsbane is actually a real wolf, or that Nightcrawler is actually half demon, like or that Angel's a real angel. Like it, it, it's dumb. Just that's too many things. They're already. Mutant superheroes, they don't need to be, and also I'm a fairy, and also I have pink hair, and also I have magical dust powers that I inherited from my dad that <laughs> gives people illusions. It's like, you're over-explaining this, and unfortunately, I think a good chunk of this book is about giving Pixie a back, not even a backstory, new facts for her Wikipedia page that I don't fully understand why they're there. Like, I agree 100%. What is this story trying to do? I don't get it. Well, and it also... Okay, so the demon that has uh, stolen Pixie... Um, Saturnine. Right. Also, why not that one? Demon Saturnine. Um, I'm double-checking to see how far back... Okay, no, this is a Ghost Rider character. Oh, this is a character okay. from 80s Ghost Rider. So it's also spelled differently, but yes. Yeah. The demon's uh, motivations are very unclear until the fourth issue. And um, they involve the soul dagger. They also involve, I guess, trying to like steal Pixie's powers. So Pixie and her friends are in this alternate high school universe. But in reality, Pixie is sidelined for the bulk of this book because she's technically unconscious. Um, So that's not great. And then she's unconscious and there's weird high school scenes that she's dreaming of. And when we get to the end of the book, I mean, this story just kind of ends. Like it really doesn't make any sense. They give the sword to Saturnine, kills his demons. And then what kills himself. And that's the end of the story. It's a trick. They do a trick. They do a trick, but I don't think it's really well-written enough to like be, coherent i don't get the plot on this thing they spend so much time looking for pixie instead of it being a book that is actually about pixie and what i don't feel like you get a better understanding of pixie's character by reading this book with pixie's name on it and i feel like especially for a character like pixie who this is it this is the only only miniseries she's ever getting Mm -hmm. maybe you can give a little bit more time for pixie and i think there's value in it like i do think the school stuff is better written than any of the weird demon stuff, but then maybe have a book that's like, Hey, some of the X-Men kids want to go to regular school for a little bit. Let's see what that's like. 
I, I have this hijinks. Yeah, not knowing anything about, this, about the story. That's kind of where I thought we were starting. Was that the characters had kind of like, I don't know, maybe they were undercover, maybe they were, you know, like a status quo change. But to find that they're all in a mass hallucination, and you know, basically like in a basement somewhere, it um, it doesn't work. I, I just don't think it works. And I, I, I think especially the voices of the characters are so far astray from what we're used to that um, I, I found it very difficult to, to enjoy much more than, wow, this artwork looks fantastic. Um, Which but... it does too. Im- or not Imminent, excuse me, but Pacelli, there's an airiness to her lines in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a fun playfulness to what she's doing. And that really does elevate this for me, you know, and we'll talk about this with some of the other stories that we're going to get into in this podcast episode, but more and more, I am appreciating art that tells the story instead of fills out the script, you know, and I think Pacelli, Pacelli absolutely does that. And this has got to be, I'm not sure how early this is for her time at marvel but this has got to be yeah it's very very early she had done a few issues of runaways with yost and imminent mm-hmm. uh, but beyond that it's like a taco bell cost comic that's it it's it's the it's the fantastic four taco bell comic which i have not read oh okay um no but you and i have been having this conversation off air um you know just during the week about you know, wanting more artists that look individual in terms of their style, instead of just trying to live up to whatever the current house style is considered to be. And I do think it's interesting that as Pacelli has progressed, I think her art is still good, but I think it's, it's moved more in the direction of a more traditional house style than what we're seeing. here. Well, you know what I would actually, I would actually counter that with. Okay. I think, the house style, specifically the Marvel house style uh, as of today, is very much a reflection of them trying to keep up with people like Stuart Eminem, with people like uh, Sarah Pacelli, like people like Dave Marquez mm-hmm. and you know some of the some of the big names that were going around like the Marvel now era. Yeah, that's true. It feels like it feels like we are going through that and you. You got great stuff out of that. Like RB Silva and Pepe Larraz, their stuff is number one on our list. And they were, they were, I mean, RB Silva was very much a Stuart Eminem copycat. Oh, sure. Like that's just, that's, that's what he was. But now we're getting copycats of the copycats and it's just kind of got very homogenous. And that's something that's really challenging me about comics right now is that I, at least out of the superhero comics, which are my comfort food, and like, I know they're bad for me. I'm still going to eat them. I'm not going to eat the comics. I'm going to read them. But like, if I, it's going to be there, I want them to be better because I know they can because I've seen them before. Yeah, absolutely. I do think what helps here is Pacelli's doing uh, her own inks on this. And, mm-hmm. you know, it really adds a, a certain style and flavor that maybe her work with other inkers might not. Um so why don't we try and rank this? I think we're very hot on the art and very sour on the, um, I said hot and the sour. nonsense story. Hot. It's and not sour. hot and sour. Hot and cold. Hot and sour is how Sweet you can describe the lady's mastermind. I believe. <laughs> uh, which yeah. one's hot and which one's sour. I think Reagan is hot and Martinique is sour. 
Um, Ray and Savant. They both like just hate each other and beat each other up. It's really funny. I think, listen, if we're going to have two ladies masterminds because Chris either forgot or (laughs) had someone else use, I forget if it was either he forgot that there was a Jeff Loeb story that already did that or they were using her in a lady mastermind in the Joe Casey X-Men uncanny at the time. And he said, well, screw that. I need a lady mastermind. I made his own <laughs> either way is great. Chris love that. It's really, uh, funny. if we're going to have two, instead of just keeping the good one, Reagan, then we might as well make them hate each other. I think it, that's fine. I agree. I agree. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners about this big old list of ours, which I believe we're going to hit. Am I right? 800 this episode? Bud, we are near the end of the road to 800. Wow. Because we've been ranking X-Men stories for quite some time, from Mm. best to worst. With the best X-Men story being the House of X Powers of 10, number 100 being Wolverine 48 to 50, the Shiva scenario, number 200 being all new Wolverine enemy of the state two, number 300 being Generations, Phoenix and Jean Grey, number 400 being Marvel Fanfare, one through four, Savage Land, number 500 being Deadly Genesis, number 600 being Uncanny X-Force Volume 2, 1 through 6, Let It Bleed. Number 700 being the issues of X-Men, The Hidden Years, where they meet Storm. Uh, and 798 is, of course, the worst X-Men story of all time, 2099 Order Tomorrow. I'm going mean, to say... better than Deadly Genesis. Yeah. I, I was going to say we're, we're in the low 400s. Uh, I mean, low 500s, like high 400s probably here. Because what do we yeah. have at 450? 450 is Captain Britain in the MI-13. I think that's, I like that better. It is better. Uh, okay, here's a good one to compare it to. 452 is X Campus. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I do think this is probably better than X Campus. You know, it's trying something a little bit. I, I have to give it credit. It is trying something that is pretty difficult to pull off. Um, so I do appreciate that, but I don't know if I would go much higher. Like, is this better than at 448, the hybrid arc of ROM? Oh no, it's not. It's not better than Punisher war journal six to seven. The first time Punisher and Wolverine fought. Heck yeah. I would, I would say that it might not be better than savage Wolverine six to eight hands on a dead body. That's the Joe mad one. Yeah, that does look killer. All right, so we're going to put this right above X Campus, so it's going to be our new 452. It'll be our new 452, Pixie Strikes Back. Hey, what was Pixie striking back from? What happened to Pixie initially that she needed to strike back? No idea. No idea. I think they just were like, hey. It's a hey, weird title. You know? It's, uh, it's an ode to, to Star Wars. I, I really couldn't tell you. Hey, is it weird that for a while people in the lead up to X-Men first class were like, look, it's Pixie. And then afterwards they were like, look, it's Pixie. And then (laughs) pedantic nerds like me had to be like, no, it's not Pixie. That's Angel Salvadori. She also has bug wings. It's fine. (laughs) Hey, also weird that Angel Salvadori was in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Played by Lenny Kravitz's daughter. And I know she's like an, I know she's like a real actress now, but at the time she literally was Lenny Kravitz's daughter who got a nepotism role. It happens. It happens sometimes. That movie was wild. Azazel was in it. Yeah. I don't think we need to revisit that one. How you feel? Hey, hold on. Hey, movie news. Hold on. What? No, wait. One second. One second. One second. One second. X-Men First Class is kind of good. Like it's got issues. The Darwin stuff's not great. 
Uh, X-Men First Class is kind of good. It's in the top it has half some, of X-Men movies. It has some good stuff in it. it uh, trust it's me. It's got a great romance plot. Certainly not the worst of the X-Men movies. Um, it does Emma Frost really poorly. Kevin Bacon drastically miscast. There's some weird stuff. I think it's like the fourth best X-Men movie. I'm not going to pull up my letterbox list, but I think you're probably you're probably in the right right realm there. Right. Next two days of future past and Logan. Yeah, those would be the better ones. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what were you saying? Movie news? Oh, movie news. Uh, how you feeling about the, uh, the this just get, got leaked online? The Wolverine Hugh Jackman in the yellow spandex. What are we thinking? I'm reserving the right to have no opinions on Deadpool three for the rest of my life. <laughs> Okay, just checking. I thought it looked a little wank wonky, but uh all I'm saying, Adam, is that Wolverine has a good costume and it's brown and yellow, and it would honestly look better in real life too. But they want to go with the uh the really, really yellow and blue that even today on a on a comic book page kind of stands out as an odd choice. You know, it's funny, and this is a good segue into our next uh, next story, is that, like, it's so funny when you try and put, like, Wolverine's costume onto an actual human being, and it just highlights, like, how much, like, the anatomy of a real person doesn't, especially Hugh Jackman, who's way too tall to play Wolverine, like, it just doesn't work. So, Adam... Adam, you know that I have a Wolverine Halloween costume from years ago that my yes. children make me put on sometimes? Yes. All I'm going to say is that me and Hugh Jackman looked a little bit alike in me in a <laughs> Halloween costume. <laughs> well, we'll see. That's all I'm going to say about I was like, Hugh, did you get that out of my kid's costume box? Because Listen, I'm sure it will be covered head to toe in CGI by the time it makes it to the big screen, just like every other costume. But um it, the reason I'll I watch brought it on up Disney Plus when it comes out. Yeah, the the reason I brought up the uh, the wonky anatomy of you know how that costume made me feel is because we do have to talk about uh, some really bad Greg Land art now because we are about Greg to Land, talk- Greg Land, Greg Land, <laughs> Greg Land. We even some talk of, about Greg Land. Some of the worst Greg Land uh, I think I've ever seen, and this is Uncanny X Men five hundred to five hundred and three. It's called SFX, San Francisco X-Men. Hey, yes. 2008 might have been the nadir of Greg Land's career. Like 2008 to 2010, that's about as bad as it gets. Man, I, oof. I, I he draws work. a really good muscle car at one point. He draws a couple of couple of cool cars, a cool motorcycle. Like, you could tell this guy just loves cars. I keep saying, Greg Land, let him just draw a car book. Get him to do, I bet Greg Land would do a good racing book. Yeah. Get him to do avoid rivals issue, you know, like <laughs> uh here, boy, we've got we've got arms distended, we've got crazy facial features that seem to be copied from a certain website's videos. We've got uh, the most insane smiles that you'll ever find anywhere. Uh it's everybody's smiling. Good God, they look terrible. The insane Greg Land smiles. That's a part. People talk about the the porn anatomy and the wonky orgasm faces. We don't talk about his truly monstrous smiles. Yeah. No, it's it's rough. Um, you know, he draws. Greg Land should do a Stepford, a Stepford Wives adaptation. 
where oh. everyone just has insane smiles all the time. No yeah. one tell Greg that it's supposed to be unsettling. Just <laughs> do your regular stuff. This is just a nice lady, Greg. Man. Yeah, it's it's really rough. So, you know, this in 500 at least we it's an oversized issue because it's 500 and we at least get some some breathers and some breaks thanks to Terry Dodson. And let me tell you, I have never been more thankful for Terry Dodson pages in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> the, the contrast the fraction is, it's so crazy this is this is ed brubaker and matt fraction this is really where fractions run starts you know yes. i think he helped co-write the last arc of this which was the manifest destiny arc where they're all going to san francisco and they all think they're hippies mm-hmm. uh but that reads a lot more like a brubaker issue that fraction is helping with where this feels like it is a matt fraction issue of comics and a Matt Fraction series at this point. It's got everything you want. How do you feel about the Fraction captions? Uh, for those who introduce the characters. Yeah, who are not familiar with this era, every time a character is introduced, there's a little blurb about them that's basically a punchline. And I'm okay with it when it works. It's just once he starts doing it, he feels like he has to do it for everybody and it doesn't always land. Here's the here's the thing though. There's a billion X-Men, so I do think it's kind of fine to be like, hey, um, this is this one. Here's one sentence to describe them real quick. Yeah, it's a, it's not I a bad bit. I'm not I'm not saying it's bad. I just say the jokes don't always land. You know what I mean? Eh. It's a hard it's a hard thing to have a 100 percent. You know, you don't want <laughs> it's like a batting average. It's not going to. Yeah, no one bats be, a thousand, man. It's not going to be a thousand every time. You know what I mean? So uh, this this starts out with an introduction of the X-Men's new San Francisco base, which is not Utopia. This is no. the abandoned military facility that they spruced up and put a lot of green energy and technology into. Did like that. I think that's great. As a gentleman who is on the cutting edge of efficient buildings and how to automate those kind of things uh, in my in my day to day life, mm-hmm. specifically around the HVAC and refrigeration systems of a building, I have some questions about Matt Fraction's understanding about <laughs> uh, that. But I don't expect him to know how to do my job. I don't know how to do his job, which is apparently making Godzilla shows. Even in my limited understanding, I did think it, it seemed a little strange the way, what he was describing. However, I gave it some credit for at least like proposing that it was a green building, you know, what, over how many years ago? This is now? This, this is, is 14 years ago. This is Adam. This is pre Obama administration. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, good on them. Good oh, on them. Gosh, this is pre Obama administration. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. So. I mean, there are some not good things here. Um, for example, uh, Emma Frost drops the R word. Um, and, not ideal. Uh, not great. And I, I guess I should drop a content warning before I say this next thing. But um, we've talked about this on a previous arc where we talk about on a previous episode where we talk about the arc after this. But this is also the arc where um, Cyclops is um, sexually assaulted by Maddie Pryor. So that's not great. That's not great. That's weird. Matt Fraction has apparently said in some interviews somewhere that that wasn't supposed to be actually Matty Pryor. That was supposed to be the Red Queen from those issues of X-Men. That's the yep. evil Jean Grey. Okay. I don't listen. It's a whole weird thing. Sure. We'll get to that plot in a second because the plot of 500 is 
one, it's wild because it starts with one of the Eternals being around and wanting to make a movie with Blob. <laughs> yes. Yep. Freddie Dukes. Kingo. It's Kingo, the one who makes movies. Yes. On the set of um, the Celestial, which is parked itself in San Francisco and will be there. The, for yeah, a while. the Dreaming Celestial. We all know yep. about. Kieran Gillen has made sure we all know about the Dreaming Celestial. The Dreaming Celestial, which in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the planet Earth. Yeah. It's a whole thing. It's pretty amazing. Listen, say what you will about Eternals. The fact that they did a full Celestial, that was pretty good. Sure. I liked I liked, I liked the fact that there was a Celestial coming out of the Earth. Anyway, unimportant. Uh, Magneto shows up and does a fight with them. And I hate this part. Oh, it's so stupid. He seems extremely out of character. And it turns out he's been like in like cybernetically enhanced by the high evolutionary or something. Very dumb. Magneto's been depowered by M day at the time. He wants to get his powers back. He works with a high evolutionary to eventually get his powers back. It turns out maybe taking away Magneto's powers was not, uh, the best narrative structure that you could have done. Marvel. <laughs> Cause he's Magneto and I get the appeal, but also then you can't use Magneto. Right. And you want to use Magneto. Yeah, I mean, to the point where it's questionable whether this is Magneto for a little bit. Like, if you're just reading this cold, you might be like, oh, is this like an android? Like, what are we dealing with? Because um, he feels like Magneto from Uncanny X-Men number one or X-Men number one. Like, right. back that's in the 60s. In, that's intentional. Um, there's the other callback that we're getting here is this giant art installation of several class one uh, Sentinels that have been used as a quote unquote kitschy uh, art exhibit. And so, which is every, insane because class one Sentinels were actually not purple. They were like that weird Kirby red thing. And then they eventually became purple, but that's fine. That's okay. And it's there's just, a lot they of got people the wrong Sentinels. cosplaying, which is something we see elsewhere in this, this era. Uh, but lots of people cosplaying as silver age X-Men and it's weird. It's weird. It ends up not mattering much because all that happens is now the X-Men are in San Francisco. They're going around. But wouldn't you know it, there's some people who weren't happy about the mutants being in San Francisco. That and let's right. be clear, at this point, Fraction is leaning very heavy into a gay rights metaphor commentary with his X-Men. He does it with Proposition X later in his run. Like, that's explicitly what he's doing. There's a mm -hmm. reason he set the story in San Francisco. Like, that's... They aren't hiding this at all. And especially for people who may not have been very cognizant around this time because it was 16 years ago. Uh, this was a ongoing debate on if we should extend these people basic human rights, which the obvious answer is yes, but it was in the, like, I get why this is what he, the issue he's talking about right now and wants to address. I think that it makes sense, even if it's not a perfect one-to-one, -one. Though it is odd because the world has changed so much in the last little bit. It is a little odd going back to this. Well, we say that, but yet, you know, folks are under attack constantly by legislation across our nation. So you mentioned earlier Pixie um, getting fridged in a video game. So what is Pixie interesting does get fridged in a video game. is that while Pixie does not get fridged in this particular arc, her her story in this is that she gets mugged and beat almost to death. Um, she gets hate crimed, right? By the Hellfire Cult, which is a group of like basically white supremacists wearing Hellfire Club masks, 
and you know who are just... being manipulated yes by, by empath empath who's being manipulated by the red queen who is maddie Pryor, who will then form the sisterhood who's pretending to be emma at some points to have a bondage relationship with empath and i'm like man this is a little uncomfortable and then at the same time it's uncomfortable in the way that the weird bondage stuff of the hellfire club always can be and i think fractions leaning into that it's taken over the top by greg land's artwork that's the problem with it that's a huge part of this right is because clearly his sources are pornographic in nature right i don't think that that's something he would ever deny so that's part of it I think he would deny it very, very heavily, just to be clear. I don't think anyone's gotten him on the record on that one. Well, I think it's the general, you know, assumption. It's the general thing. Honestly, it's, it's, in my opinion, it's normally close to like a Maxim model or something like that. That's not explicitly like a porn thing, but it is overly sexualized magazine images. I think that's more what people are getting at when they say that. But I do think there is a distinction there. Yeah, I would. In agree. this case, he may just be drawing a BDSM model. I honestly don't know. I and I honestly, I don't think it really matters. Like per se, it doesn't exactly because it still looks bad. What it is, I just think that the way in which he depicts these characters, the way in which he depicts what they're wearing and what they're doing, is just very reminiscent of a certain style of. Uh, publication or video or whatever it is that you want. It gets really uncomfortable when teenage girl Pixie gets sexy hate crimed. Yeah. Yeah. Like she gets hate crimed and beat, but it's with a, it's with like a sexy face the whole time. Yep. Yeah. That kills, that kills the story. Yeah. Also weird. We'll bring this up again because I guess this is just, we're making callbacks to other podcasts right now. I had not realized how insane the page of Dazzler meeting Pixie in the uh, in the hospital was until I looked at it again. Yeah. So that is a classic uh, page that Greg Land gets made fun of. Right. Hey, I'm Allie. Hey. Yes. Have you heard Greg? Have you heard Ben Percy? quote that line <laughs> no but i can imagine it in my head it's um, just ben percy saying that in a ben percy voice it's very funny honestly um, that... what's more insane on that page is at the end she's like hey pixie i just met you you're in a hospital having just been beat up would you like to get a lot of people at my next concert super high yeah right use your um <laughs> your wing power and you know your hallucinogen wing power yeah get it's them real- zooted it's it's real bad. We also get a weird funny. new mutants reunion here that's very odd. Um, at the, Where at Sam the, does a racism. I mean, yeah, I guess he asks what's on tap. Okay, oh, let's talk about I'm this sorry. for a second. No, let's no, talk no. about this for no, 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 no. We're going to do the on tap thing for a second. Okay, because the bartender is like, "What do you mean? Like, what beers do we have?" In in the next panel, the next panel. There is a neon sign in the bar that says, you know, generic beer on tap. Yeah. <laughs> this bartender sucks. Well, One is that's, I don't know. California people is saying some asking what's on tap, a crazy thing to do because I've been to California and I've asked, what do you guys have on tap? And no one looked at me the other way. What's, what's weirder is that 
Sam's response to this is, yes, sir, I'm free, white. No, this is what he gets asked for his ID. He gets asked for his ID. He gets asked for his ID and says, yes, sir, I'm free, white, and 21. And that is weird. It's bad. And then Sam goes back and says, that bartender taught me a lot about tolerance, y'all. And while I'm not, listen, I've been to Kentucky. I was born in Kentucky. I get it. But I do bristle at the idea that everybody from the South or Kentucky is some backwards hick redneck that doesn't understand what they're saying. It's also Sam. Uh, it's Sam. who It's also been... Sam, who is a... <laughs> How long best has Sam black. Been... Like, he does know right. these things. How long has Sam been doing his thing? You know? Yes, it's... One of the things that does frustrate me about Fractions run in general is that because he is juggling so many characters, he has a tendency to hyper distill the characters sure. into one or two attributes and picking Sam's attributes to be Hick and then go from there. That's annoying to me. I agree. I agree. Um, Pixie does return even after she asks to be. This is what this is what you should have called Pixie Strikes Back because Pixie very literally strikes back at this. She does. Um, She has, you know, and after she's assaulted, she asks Wolverine to try to kind of drop her off with um, I what I guess is kind of like a homeless community of of artists or, you know, people somewhere in the community. Um, but then she decides um, that she really does belong with the X-Men comes back and stabs empath in the head with the soul dagger, uh, thereby ending his particular role in the hellfire cult. So yeah, that, that, that rules. Yeah, that's um, great. I love, yeah. I love that pixie. Like, I don't think that the right thing to do all the time would be, Hey, let's beat up the nice cute girl so that she can have a revenge arc. Like that's something that happens a lot. Mm. in media like this and i don't love it in this case i'm glad that pixie does get like to strike back and i do really like that when she appears in that last issue she gets a caption that says megan gwen pixie and instead (laughs) of a pithy little like one-liner it just says x-man yeah like that's a that's a good statement use of that uh, narrative trick I wish that the motivation was different um, because what's cool about what happens in the last issue is that mm-hmm. um, Pixie's the only one of the X-Men who can actually stop empath. Everybody else is way too vulnerable to his powers. So the, the only one that can actually get through is her. So that part actually works for me. The The initial assault is like, we don't need, like there's a way I mean, to tell bad. that story without doing that, you know? And also, I mean, I hate to keep coming back to it, but this issue, this last issue does end with Scott realizing that he didn't actually get seduced by Emma. He was seduced uh, and taken advantage of by this other character, which I sucks. I hate, it just sucks. absolutely despise that that is, you know, a character beat um, within these books. So um, why it, we it sucks and... that there's no, it, nothing, there's nothing that like, the story is not about that. That's just a thing that happens and well, then it and moves that, on and never brought up again. And that's, that's the other thing that's awful about it is that this character has now, you know, been assaulted in this way and then it's never addressed again. Um, it's just, you know, the bad guys coming. It's like, okay, well, we, we could have dealt with that. It sucks. Also, I don't want them to ever address it again. Well, yes, 
But if you're going like, to do something one, like that, <laughs> you should probably, that should be in like your upcoming plans for how you're going to address things in a book. I'm not saying that they're, that you can't use assault or things like that in a story. It's a narrative, but it should be treated with a little bit more respect than you get in this. Yeah. It sucks. Is this, does this suck more or less than the sisterhood arc at 774? They're very similar. I would point out one thing in that the sisterhood arc is somehow more insane than this and has worse art than this. I, I think that there is enough redeemable qualities to this arc to put this above the sisterhood arc. I, I don't think it goes that low. I would tend to agree. Uh, but I mean, this is bad. However, the art is abominable and there are some really questionable storytelling uh things that are happening here another greg land story mm-hmm. better or worse than phoenix and song Oof. um i i think it's worse than end song yeah i think end song is better okay i can get behind that um is this as where are you going down to i was just looking i was just looking Typhoid fever. How do you feel about it compared to that? That's at seven fifty five. I feel like this is better than that. This is probably better than the video game tie-in. Uh, Mark X-Men for Legends X Men Rise colon Legends Apocalypse. Two colon Rise of Apocalypse. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, is it better than Fabe's X Men Forever? Oh, that was pretty bad. X Men. Yeah, that's that's worse, Zach. I mean, like, I want it. I want to give Fabe's the the end because he did the homework, but it's still pretty bad. It's still pretty bad. Yeah. Um. I think Secret Invasion X-Men is better than this. I do too, um, but I would... Bafflingly bad story. I would give the edge to this over Excalibur. uh, What is that? Volume... That's... Two? One to four? Forging the Sword? I I believe so, yes. Yeah, that's pretty bad. It's either volume two or it's the start of the Claremont... Yeah. uh, Genosha Excalibur. In either way. Either way. (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah. awful. <laughs> so it's our new 749. Sure. Yeah. And Adam, we've now ranked 800 stories. Oh, congratulations. That feels good. This is great for us. So You're... glad that we have spent our time ranking 800 X-Men stories. My goodness. Let's do another. What's wrong with us? Um, you know, we haven't been super hot on these first two. So I really think that we should end on a high note. I picked this one because I wanted to remember if it was a high note. And the answer is yes. It's Runaways Volume 4. This is the Secret Wars Runaways, written by N.D. Stevenson, who you might know from the film Nimona, uh, that my boys super love right now, and that I am getting a little sick of. <laughs> How many times have you had to watch it? I haven't seen it yet. I heard it's fun. Oh, it's you would you would enjoy it, Adam. It's a delightful, fun time. But when I have to hear the same lines over and over and over again, <laughs> yeah. one, there is one movie that I have not had that problem with. And that is uh, Enter the Spider-Verse. And it's really just because the What's Up Danger scene gets me every time. Ah. This isn't as good as that. It is pretty good. This book also has the distinct privilege of having Sanford Green on art. You might know him from Bitterroot. I freaking love Green's art. I... It's so good. You know, this extends to that conversation that we've been having about art looking unique, looking a little different, not adhering to a house style. And 
I still believe that this era of Secret Wars Battle World minis were while hit or miss was a playground that really did result in some very interesting comics. And um, I think this is this is a fun one um, because this version of the Runaways centers around the idea that there is kind of a Doom Academy in which uh, kids from all of the different realms are being sent here to essentially battle royale it out um, for survival to become part of like this doom Hitler youth uh, for, for battle. But they don't I, know that they're battle royaling. That's they the trick. don't. They don't know that they are battle royaling until they are like in their final year and then they're sworn to secrecy. So um, our cast here is really fun. Um, not only is this, uh, is Pixie on the team, which is why we're talking about the book this week, but really the main character of this book, um, our, our team leader is a version of Jubilee. Yeah. Jubilee, Pixie and Delphine Gorgon are all lesbian witches. (laughs) The night witches. Like, but like, but like high school witches, like (laughs) they're wearing black leather jackets and they're girls. It's it's the craft, you know? Oh, I guess they were in the craft. That's a bad. Example. They were actual witches in the craft. Yeah. Um. Sorry. Bad example. Also, a version of Frostbite. Yep. You know Frostbite, the classic Marvel character. This is uh, Sana Strand. Uh, Amadeus Cho is in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's just he's just a smart guy. But his best friend is Scar. Yes. You know Hulk's son. Yep. Uh, Cloak and Dagger are here. Bucky is essentially a hall monitor, which is very funny. Hmm. Uh, Valeria Von Doom is the headmistress of the school and Molly Hayes really wants to make friends with people. And I love <laughs> Molly Hayes so much. She's great. And I, I want to, I want her to be protected forever. Yeah. So what's great. Uh, first issue is, is fantastic. First issue because we're meeting all of these characters via detention. Um, Amadeus Joe Cho, um, hacks the the doom bot that is that is guarding their detention all so they can make it to their exam signups because they gotta sign up for the exams now when they finally get to the exam that is when they realize that they're actually killing their fellow students as part of these exercises even though they're they they don't know it and that's when they run away they run away Pixie does die in this one also uh yeah it seems to be a theme She's a really easy character to kill because she's visually distinctive. You don't have to add a lot to be like, oh, yeah, that's her. She's that. Oh, no, she's dead. Now I'm sad. Yeah, it is. That is probably the most unfortunate thing about this is because uh, she is essentially fridged um, because Jubilee, it is revealed, has been in a relationship with Pixie before. They're they are best friends and it's best friend exes. Yeah, it serves as motivation for the entire team. She is not. I don't believe she's the only character that dies in this miniseries, right? I, th- I feel like there's somebody else who dies. I mean, Bucky, Bucky gets Bucky gets straight up like murder assassinated at the end yeah. of this. Yeah, oh, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, that's rough. Actually, that Bucky just gets like executed. So the characters get a chance to travel from world to world. They're learning all of the ways in which Doom lied and manipulated them, and um, honestly, like this kind of setup could really have lasted for a longer run 
but it's limited to these four issues. So by the time we get to the end, everybody is kind of teamed up. They're going to overthrow the school. Even Valeria at the very end is sort of like, I, I can't, I can't keep doing this. I, you know, you've, she, she's implied to be like madly in love with, with the older Bucky um, teen version. She has a, I, madly in love sounds crazy. She has a crush because she's she, a kid. If she has a childhood Bucky, crush. Have you seen him? Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, she, she just decides like, Hey, I can't, I can't do this anymore. The art is fantastic. I'd love how cartoony it is. I love how expressive it is. These characters have yes. emotion. They have fluidity. They have movement. Lines I'm sure there's have... someone who looks at Sanford Green's art and says, Oh, it's so ugly. Y'all, it looks great. And shut up about it. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Green is one of the most talented dudes doing comics. It's ridiculous. Stuff's just fire. Like, have you have you looked at the uh, the Power Man and Iron Fist series he did after this, Adam? I've seen some of the art from it, but I with have not David read Walker. It. Yeah, but the artist Bud Stellar Bud it also rips. Yeah, that's got that book so good. Uh, freaking what him and him and Walker did afterwards with Bitterroot is so freaking good. Like this is an incredible cartoonist and. I want to see more of his stuff. I want to see more of these all-stars getting a chance to shine because that's what you get here. It is fantastic. And, you know, I think I think you could make an argument that the plot in this is a little light, but I would also say that that's... The plot is a vehicle for Stevenson to do what they want to do, which is relationship drama and a little bit of slice-of-life stuff, which, by the way... Is what you want out of a book called Runaways. Oh, it's definitely honoring the emotional feel of Runaways, right? And to give Andy Stevenson some some real props here, I think what works so much, like I, I could not believe how invested I was in these characters by the time we got to the fourth issue, right? Like yeah. on the very last page, there is this character named Delphine who Amadeus Cho has clearly been kind of flirting with crushing on for the entire arc. And on the very last page, there's a splash and she gives him a little peck on the cheek. And it's a really tiny detail, but it's one of those things where I was like, Oh, you know, like, and in any other story, I may not care about the characters enough when, you know, the, the actual emotional beats have their payoffs because not every writer is as talented um, or gets paired with a talented artist like this to make it feel you know, like it means something. And here it did, you know, I want to read the further adventures of these characters with these, this writer and this artist. It's, it's so, it's unfortunate that this book wasn't one of them that they said afterwards for secret wars. Let's keep, let's keep some of these vibes going. Oh yeah. It's fun. It's so fun. And Stevenson's obviously such a, such a talented creator. I mean, you look at Nimona, you look at all the other stuff they've done real freaking good i don't know what green's doing i guess he i don't know what green's doing nowadays uh but i hope the best for him yeah i wish oh wait that's for it looks like the answer is a bunch of marvel snap cards oh right the answer is actually getting paid yeah i have seen some stevenson <laughs> Never mind. in the game not stevenson it's green stevenson's making movies that's now. what i mean sorry getting everybody confused here um but I just think it's accomplishing a lot in a very short period of time, you know? So 
it just proves that this era is, uh, is still ripe with ideas, you know? So I, this was my favorite thing that we read this week. This is also my favorite thing that we read this week. It's great. Green rules, Stevenson rules. Oh, is it an X-Men comic? It's starring Jubilee and Pixies in it. Shut up. And oh, Molly, is, she's a mutant. This is 100%. This uh, if we're going to have that Howard the Duck story on here. <laughs> yes, Jubilee is the star of this book. Pixie is extremely important. Molly is in this. Uh, if you consider Cloak and Dagger. Molly um, looks like a mutants. real little piece of piece of garbage in this in a way that I find <laughs> incredibly charming. She is fantastic. I enjoyed her. She so looks much rowdy. Yes. I love it. Yes. And by the she, time she looks like her name should be Bruiser. Oh, yeah. it's so good. And by the time we get to her like befriending Scar and like sitting atop her shoulders, like it's like they're, they're like, you know, these bruisers together. It's great. You do a fist bump. It's yes. very good. Yes. Uh, it's subtle, but it works so, so well. Um, is this better or worse than that Howard the Duck story at 136? Wow. Go I mean, high. I just I just mentioned it. Now I'm curious. I mean, hold on. I'm looking at looking at 150 Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine. What's it? This is better than Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine. This is better than all new Wolverine Enemy of the State 2 at 200. Like, look, look at what's in that. No, you're look right. At what's what's the comparable ones? Gillen's sword has these kind of energies. I think this is better than that. All new dupe. I think this is better than that. The original X Terminators, a book I love. What's that at? That's One, at 145. My ceiling is We're, probably Executioner's Song at 115. I wouldn't go higher than that. Actually, you know what? Uh, 147 is going to beat this because this is not as good as the time Captain America 367 came out and Magneto threw Red Skull into a hole. Uh, yeah, I'm just that stuff rips down the list. I don't know. I would. Here's what I do. I would put it right below that Captain America story and above Age of X-Men extremists. Ooh, that's tough. I think the art, the art drives this farther. Even okay. if I think some of the emotional beats in extremists hit better. Okay. You know what? I agree. I think this is a good spot for it. And that was going to be our new 148 Runaways Volume 4 from Secret Wars. Check that out, Who folks. Who was expecting that? Honestly, honestly, there's a lot of good stuff in Secret Wars that people just didn't read. Let me tell you how a lot of stuff much of a palate cleanser and how delightful that was to read after reading four issues of terrible Greg Landart. It just, it, it made my, my heart fill with love. So I'm very glad I got to read that. I'm glad I got to read it with you, Adam. Uh, and I'm glad Daniel suggested it. want to be like, Daniel, go listen to the start of the episode. You know the deal. Uh, Adam, what do you got going on right now? Uh, let's see. Uh, folks can always follow me on Instagram at adam.rec, Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Um, I did recently get onto this whole like blue sky social network. So if you search Adam rec, you will find me there. Um, I, I linked it up on my Twitter. So, you know, if you're on blue sky, check it out. Zach is on none of these things that you should ever try and go find him. So don't. And, uh, just don't. Yeah, just don't. What else? What do we got going on next week, Zach? Forge. Forge. The See, that's a reference. The... That's a reference to the little remembered podcast, The Exiles, uh, yeah. Exiled, yes. uh, that Luke Hare ran with so many great 
talented people. Amazing. Uh, and Forge was there, and I do believe the person who played Wendigo hated Forge, oh, which I found delightful. <laughs> All right, so where are your short shorts next week, folks? Make sure you pack your metal get legs those, and get those booty shorts up popping. That's right. Uh, until then, folks, this has been Bally Adam. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!